Before we start this episode, please go to destinyrescue.org and see how you can join the fight. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today we're actually in for a treat. You know, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Yen's path and what, what he's been doing, where he's going. And it's very interesting because he's done a lot. It's actually incredible. Just for you, I wanted to share a little bit uh, here. It's Jens Nielsen, who is um, part of opendoorsinvesting.com. That's where you can find Jens is opendoorsinvesting.com. And that's uh, if you want his email, it's J-E-N-S. That's Jens at opendoorsinvesting.com. And that's doors plural, right, Jens? That's correct. Okay. And then uh, just wanted to share a couple of the very, very interesting things is he owns 70 different properties or doors directly, uh, which, is, which is quite a bit if, you're, if you are not syndicating to have those 70 doors. So uh, very impressive. Not only that, but he's um, involved passively in a couple thousand mobile home uh, units and a couple thousand storage units. 500 multifamily storage units. So he has diversified as all get out. Right now, he's really focused on Albuquerque, New Mexico. So his main goal is to do his first syndication. So he's looking at some larger portfolios. He's got a 107-unit property. He's got a 230-unit portfolio. of It's two properties, right? Uh, the portfolio of the 100, 107 is actually two property and the other 230 some units are three properties that one seller owns. Awesome. And uh, you only got started doing real estate about three years ago. That's correct. Yeah, I've been an IT professional for my whole life. And I suddenly one day realized that this path is, is a good income, but it's also a nine to five job. And I needed to build some passive income and really try to get some freedom in my life. And then I thought that real estate investing would be the avenue that made most sense to me. Mm. And you live in Southern Colorado? Yeah, I live in Durango, Colorado, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, a small town. But if you like cycling, skiing, hiking, everything, it's just a great place. And uh, But we're about 18,000 people in the whole county. So it's a, it's a small town. So meeting fellow investors and stuff like that is always a challenge around these parts. So why do you want to invest in a spot that you don't live? So you're really focused on Albuquerque right now. Uh, is that really close to Durango? Uh, it's three and a half hours drive south of here. So it's actually the closest bigger city. You know, Denver mm. is six plus hours away. Um, I used to live there. So I know the city well. I had a network and I got in touch with some really good people when I started looking into investing so i it felt this kind of organically grew there um and there's some really interesting things happening in albuquerque for example netflix has just announced that they are going to move their north american production headquarters to albuquerque so that's a huge impact for the local economy at least that's their plan i think it's getting very close to being that deal being signed so i'm super excited about that let me ask you why you decided to I mean, you own 70 properties directly. Um, what made you want to get into these, you know, I don't know, 4,500 other units um, passively? Um, so these are you know, these, the passive investments of through our retirement fund, me and my wife's retirement funds. And we felt that 
getting out of the overvalued stock market and get, you know, cash flow and long-term appreciation made sense. So we weren't too exposed to ups and downs in the, in the equity markets. I mean, I've been through the 2000 crash in the NASDAQ and the 2008 global meltdown and all that. I was like, I don't want to do that again as I'm getting older. So we felt that diversifying, investing with some known operators would be a really good way to grow long-term wealth and get cash flow as we are. So what was your path to getting passively invested in those, uh, those two big funds and also the 500 units of multifamily? You know, listen to some podcasts and reached out to some people who were kind of, you know, syndicating and raising money for these deals. And I called up the gentleman who I, you know, uh, heard on there and I started talking to him and I was like, this sounds really good. And um, uh, just kind of felt that what he was the deals they were um, operating made sense and they had a lot of experience in the field. So I felt that, Hey, this is a good way. So I set up a self-directed IRA, which, you know, it's kind of the way you need to do if you want to use your IRA money, self-directed IRA, and then started carving out uh, money to various investments through that. Um, so that includes a mobile home uh, fund, a um, couple of different invest uh, apartment complexes, a uh, storage fund, and also some uh, node, you know, no real estate node investing too. So kind of diversified throughout. Incredible. Okay. Well, what was it like when you wanted to set up a self-directed IRA? Did you have an employer and was it difficult to move the money? What was it like for you? These are monies that was just sitting in, you know, a broker like Vanguard and mm -hmm. from prior 401ks that we had rolled over into uh, just a, a regular IRA. So I just did some research on what the different companies were out there, what their fee structures were. And I found one that seemed to be, you know, good reviews and reasonable fee structures. And I just set up the account and transferred the money over from, from Vanguard to this, this, um, um, this provider. And, you know, they don't like, they don't operate like a traditional brokerage company. They don't get, make any money on commissions or sales charges. They just manage the, the funds for you. So they charge them a quarterly fee for the number of deals you're in and so forth. So it's very transparent. There's no conflict of interest there. Okay. And all three different things. So, I mean, you, you've got multifamily, you have notes, you have, I think, storage units and mobile home parks, right? Yes. Okay. Are all of those the same one company that you're invested with? Or did you have to meet like a mobile home expert, a no expert, a multifamily expert, et cetera? They are in different companies. Uh, you know, the Node Fund was kind of the first one I started in. And that's one of the, the more well-known companies. And I started investing with them. And then the apartments is with one operator that operates those, those properties. And then it was through the same person who got me into the apartment building. He is partnering with some other operators who got into the mobile home space and also the self-storage space. So it's just kind of through, you know, this is all a relationship-based business. And I've met, I've met these people in person and I feel like they, I can trust them and they know what they're doing. So that's kind of grown that, that network. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to ask you a few questions here on what steps that you're taking for yourself to really get into syndication. I want to ask and find out if passively investing helps you with your syndication. I have a few other questions regarding that and then we'll get into the final five. But first, we do need to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Tell me if this describes you. You purchased a property, okay, a rental 
for its passive income. And then you realize later that it wasn't really passive, now was it? So there is one solution, and that is the only way that I know that you can actually be passive. I'm passively invested in 400 and something doors, and uh, I love it. I love those real estate investments of mine because I don't have to do anything. It's the only actual passive investments that I have. And I have hundreds of other doors that I have to work really hard at. It's not really passive. And if you want that solution as well, and if you'd like to partner with Blue Spruce Holdings, we have opportunities right now for accredited investors. So you can go to the show notes and schedule time, book a time just to chat with me and see if becoming an actually (laughs) passive, passive investor works for you and your real estate goals. All right, we're back and we're getting a lot of value today. Jens, thank you so much for coming on. Like I promised the listener, we have a couple of questions that I think are, now you, it's your turn to kind of spill the beans. Tell us, tell us, you know, the, the mastermind behind what you're doing that's going to get you to that next level. So what I want to know here is you've already got 70 all by yourself. You've already got another 4,000 passively invested. Let me ask you this. Why, why do you want to be a syndicator? There is a limit to how far I can go with my own money. You know, I run out of money and I, you know, my, my thought is that by pulling other people together to buy bigger deals, you leverage you know, the ability to get on-site management, to get the economy of scale and really go out there and, and take down these bigger deals that, that just in the long run, we'll build more wealth and, and accumulate a better returns. So that's, that's kind of where I'm going for, you know, owning a, you know, a, a 10 and a 15 and 20 unit building is great, but it does have some headaches with management. And I feel that the bigger properties will, will help a lot uh, to eliminate some of those problems. Great. Okay. So if you do syndicate your own deal, what do you see as being the risks associated with being the sponsor on a deal? And what are you doing to stop those, to mitigate? You know, the risk is, you know, in the underwriting and then the, you know, the interest rate risk that we're probably facing, you know, obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of money out there now. So, so the prices have risen a lot in, in, in recent years. So, and there's probably a, that kind of idea of a lot of people heading towards this. So there's probably a lot of pressure to try to make something work when you kind of back of your head. It's like, no, this doesn't really make sense. It may make sense now, but if interest rate rise or the economy has a downturn, you could find yourself in, in trouble. So do really good underwriting and also try to get longer term financing. You know, we've some of our deals that we've done ourselves, we've gotten 10 year, uh, terms on our loans, which I feel is is mitigates some of that risk. Um, so you know that's some of the things you want to do. And then obviously, who do you partner with in terms of who are the other sponsors you deal with? Who is going to be property manager and your brokers and everything else? So just create a team that really makes that really has the experience and makes sense. You know, and and I'm preparing myself through um, this. Maybe your next question. But I'm preparing myself through uh, a member of a. Um, like a, a mentorship group where we have training and the various resources to to help us with the underwriting, we get our training, we get our you know other partners and team people we can kind of team up with and so forth. So that's a big group of people that really helps us with the building that team and getting the credibility behind us. So excellent. Okay, great. So let's talk about the 107 and the 230. How 
how much, what is it, what's the purchase price on something like that? <laughs> yeah, so people may fall out of their chair when I say what the purchase price in the 107 is. This is, a, it's actually $3 million, which is like $28,000 a door. Uh, this is an interesting property because it, it has a HUD loan on it, which is kind of the holy grail on financing because it's fully amortized. It's 30, some 35 years amortization, fixed rate for the full term assumable loan so once you can get through the hurdles of taking over a loan like that you don't have a risk on your financing through the full term um, it is it does have some income restrictions so it does cater to a certain you know, lower income um, uh, tenants but we feel that uh, my partner who um, is in Albuquerque he's done a lot of those types of deals and manages thousands of units there so we feel like that's a, a very strong he has a very strong management in that area. So that would, that would really fit into the, to the, to the model there. Mm -hmm. And how about the 230? 230 is a, um, it's a set of properties that was built in the seventies and the current owner, I think it was his dad who built them. So they own it free and clear. Um, they have run extremely high expense ratios. We looked at the PNL is like 70, 80% ratio. So we feel there's a lot of uh, room for improvement there. Uh, there's probably, you know, we try to look at value add deals because, you know, there has to be a little bit of a play in the value add. Otherwise it probably doesn't make sense to buy a lot of these deals right now. So, so we find that, you know, people are just kind of, putting money into them, but not enough to really, you know, raise the rents and, and keep the property maintained. Um, especially this one deal we bought in the spring is a 36 unit. And it was those people who bought it just been you know, bleeding money and just didn't have the money to maintain it. So the roof was leaking and, you know, a lot of problems. So we took it over and has been into gutting it and really fixing it up. So that's kind of, we try to focus on these kind of hairier deals, if you will, that need some, some, a lot of work to kind of get up to, um, to their potential. I have a couple more questions on the 230. You said that there was a 70 to 80% expense ratio. Yeah. And by the way, for the listener, that's very, very, very high. Um, in my experience, if a million dollars is coming in, around 500,000, anywhere from 450 to maybe 550 should probably be going out in expenses. But in this case, you're probably at three quarters of a million dollars uh, based on that number going toward the expenses. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. What is the occupancy rate? Uh, the first thing that I would guess is that it had a really low occupancy. It's in, uh, I think it's 80, 85%. So it's not... It's not terrible. I think one of the one of the properties they actually kind of kicked out all the tenants and started releasing it. I'm not sure if that was because they had poor tenants in there, or whatever. So, so that unit I think is only 60 to 70. The other two are in the 80, 85. And I think we were able to we talked to some fanny, some agency uh, lenders, and they said they would able to they would be able to do a loan and give 85% occupancy. So that's that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, so they have not been very aggressive at trying to keep it leased up. Um, 
So that was one problem. I think one of the, the other problems are, you know, it's hard to read through a PL and see where's the money getting siphoned off because their salaries, their maintenance people, they're all these things. But we kind of you know, look through and say, you know, why is there a $30,000 annual pool fee and, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of, of salaries for leasing agents and maintenance people and, and so forth. So there's a lot of, there could be some stuff being padded there and money, you know, kind of exiting the property in other ways. We're not sure, but, you know, from an NOI standpoint, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty poor right now. All right. I have a lot, a lot of questions <laughs> on this 230. All right. So um, the first thing, the next one that I was going to ask is what year it was built. Uh, I believe it was like in the mid seventies. That was the, um, that's about the time frame. Yeah. All right. And how many different properties did you say made up 230 units? Uh, three. Okay. And the pool fee at 30 K, is there a rule of thumb that shows what it should cost for the swimming pool annually? It's not, I'm not too familiar because none of my other properties have swimming pools. So I actually don't know. And this is just an example of one of the expenses that seemed a little outrageous, you know, and also a lot of repairs and maintenance costs and so forth. Just, I guess my point was, it seemed like the expenses were padded in many areas or way too high. Maybe they've had the same pool guy for 20 years and he just kept raising the rates and not, they've not been competitive in trying to find new bids and so forth. So. And you said a couple hundred thousand in for the leasing agents. Is that right? Uh, leasing agent and on-site management, uh, sorry, um, on-site management, including a leasing agent and then on-site uh, maintenance people. And I think there was like an assistant leasing agent too, and then some other fees for contracting services. So it all added up to very high numbers. Um, What's the purchase price again? So this one is kind of a you know off market deal, and we were looking at offering you know low three millions, three point two, three point three. I don't know that the seller was quite that motivated yet, so we are still kind of going back and forth on it. Um, again, this is you know my partner is is um, down there. He's he does own a management company and is also a broker, and luckily partners with in deals too. So he's kind of still working through the numbers and uh, mm. trying to get to an arrangement agreement on that. So is there a plan currently in place on what you would do with the management company? Yeah. So we would basically, you know, get rid of the existing management that's in there and then put in, you know, through my partner's company, put in on-site management to manage these three properties. Uh, they're very, they're like pretty much next to each other put one, one, probably one leasing agent in that would manage all three properties and have one or two maintenance staff there. You know, again, due to scale, uh, my, my partner owns and manages other properties in that neighborhood. So he could have one leasing agent that could run, you know, five or six properties and they would all be within a two blocks radio. That would be really helpful. Mm. Yeah. What's the biggest one thing like you've been in, real estate and done quite a bit in the last three years. What's the biggest thing you've learned? Biggest thing I've learned. Um, I've learned to negotiate with people as sellers. You got to be, 
you gotta, even though if you, because uh, I've dealt with some off, like off market deals through my direct mail and stuff like that, even though you try to approach it very like by the numbers and professionally, people get very emotionally attached to their properties. You know, let's say this guy's had his 20 unit for 10 years and this is his life. And then you come in and say, well, you know, the roof doesn't look so good and uh, it needs to be updated so I can only pay you this. And a lot of people actually take, I've found, don't take that too well. So I think building, building rapport, really getting to know people before you talk business, I think is something that I need, that I have learned is important. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. That's really good insight. And we're ready for the final five. Are you ready for the final five? Absolutely. Great. Well, question number one is what's the most creative deal you've ever done? Uh, so there was a smaller, this was 11 units. Uh, it was a seller, um, seller finance deal. And they wanted a certain price for it. And we realized, you know, this needs a lot of work. So he seller financed it, but we did not pay anything for the first uh, 11 months. I think 10 months. We did not pay any interest or uh, amortized, uh, you know, any, any payments on the loan. So all the castle in the first 10 months, we put straight back into the property. So that meant that we could come up with less cash to start with. So we had, you know, the five $6,000 a month, we could just pull back into rehab the unit. So that was, that was a really good deal. Let me ask you a question on that. You, you mentioned how you didn't have to come out with too much upfront and you were able to use the cash flow. If you went into the same situation, what would you prefer to raise more upfront or to do the same thing you did on that one? Um, you got to be very careful about trying to do rehabs through your cash flow because you are looking at a long period of time, but you won't make any money, you know? So ideally you would bring in the money up front to do the rehab and try not to rely on the castle because your returns is going to be so inconsistent. So if I, you know, at that time, if I'd had another hundred thousand dollars, that would have probably just put that in right away. Okay. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. What is a book that you recommend to the listener? The one thing. By Gary thing. Keller, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, tell us why. Oh, it's really the idea of, of focusing and getting the most important thing done in the morning, you know, every day. So basically just, hey, what do I need to do so I can, so everything else becomes unimportant, you know. So that's really, and I think we are so used to so-called multitasking where you try to work on five different things at the same time and you don't do any of them well. So just focusing and, and, and really getting one thing done, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. I try to practice that. Thanks. And you got started three years ago from the time of recording. Where were you five years ago? Kind of paint us that picture. What did it look like for you, Jens, when you were uh, back in 2013, 2014, uh, you were about to get started in multifamily. What did that look like? Uh, just working as an IT person, you know, in, in Durango, enjoying, you know, biking, hiking, skiing and all that stuff and not really worrying too much about how many more years I would have to work my corporate job in order to retire. So just, it, the, and this, I don't know if this is a background or limiting belief, but growing up in, I'm from Denmark originally, and it's just not the same mentality of entrepreneurship and stuff like that that the U.S. has. So I was just perfectly happy just being being an employee. And uh, 
but then I suddenly realized hey, that ain't going to work in the long run. So. Okay. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Well, what about five years from now? Where do you see yourself? I will not be working any longer. You know, I will have, I'll be owning, I'll be a, a general partner in, in multiple syndications and I will be, you know, living just a life of, of a little bit more purpose and having time to explore my passions for travel and, and outdoor activities and so forth, you know, but also, you know, creating good returns for investors and continue to build a, a real estate portfolio. How do you give back? I you know, donate to various charities. I do some uh, coaching, uh, some other, I have a few uh, coaching students. I, you know, again, keep getting back to my outdoor activities. I, I, I'd help with, you know, trail work and outdoor type, um, um, just keeping up with the local community and, and so forth. So, If anybody wants to reach out to you, it's Jens Nielsen, N-I-E-L-S-E-N. And um, you can find him at Open Door Investing opendoorsinvesting.com. Yeah, you need to put that S on the door. And then, or just go to Jens, that's spelled J-E-N-S, at open, D-O-O-R-S, um, investing.com. So definitely reach out to him. And thank you for coming on. And until next time, my friend, think outside the bus. Thank you. Hey, it's Adam Adamson. I'm really grateful to have you as a loyal listener of the show. It is disclaimer time. And there is four things that, need to be said. And number one, we're not attorneys or CPAs. So please consult your own professional advisors. Number two, any investment opportunity that is discussed on this show is for accredited investors only. And if you would like to be a part of one, my contact information is in the show notes. Number three, if you love this content, all I ask is that you show us by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and review. And number four, the best ever conference is coming up. It's on February 22nd and 23rd. The price is changing every single week. So don't wait to get your tickets. Go grab them right now. Go to besteverconference.com and then put in the hashtag blue spruce.